This is Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. This is the 18th edition of Sports and Stuff, and today we have a very special guest, Ed Cunningham. Ed is a former University of Washington football star, former broadcaster, and Ed now works as a, a filmmaker and movie producer. Ed, I want to give a little background of you to listeners before we start our conversation today. Um, Ed has had a very interesting career in uh, various fields beyond sports. Um, Ed is a University of Washington football Husky legend, member of the and captain of the 1991 Husky football uh, national championship team. Ed had a five-year NFL playing career for the Arizona Cardinals, and Ed played a year for the Seattle Seahawks. It's actually something I forgot about, Ed. Um, Ed had a very formidable broadcasting year at ESPN until his very high-profile decision to step away from football broadcasting in 2017. The story about Ed deciding to walk away from football broadcasting and his large ESPN contract due to his principled concerns about safety issues in football was the biggest online New York Times news story for more than 24 hours one day. We're certainly going to be talking to Ed about his big decision to walk away from football broadcasting. Uh, we're going to have a chance to chat with Ed a little bit about his film career. Ed, first of all, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. It's good to get reconnected again. I met you a couple times in college, and it's we know a lot of mutual people. It's fun to, fun to have this conversation. Ed, I'm yeah. definitely going to go into what you're doing uh, now, but I want to get a little background of you for the listeners and at least scratch the surface a little bit of your uh, college NFL playing career. Ed, you grew up in Virginia. How did you end up at the University of Washington? <laughs> um, so when I was in high school, I was really into track and field. And we had, um, I think they're still around, the Junior Olympics. And uh, I, no one in our region could throw the javelin. So I taught myself how to throw the javelin. And then uh, I got this coach. He just saw me one day and started coaching me. So I ended up at the national championships when I was about 15 years old in Seattle. The, the national championships were at Husky Stadium. Um, it was actually before the other upper deck was built. <laughs> it was that long ago. And I just, you know, it was August. It was beautiful. I was just starting to look at colleges. Um, I was interested in sciences. I was interested in, you know, potentially business. So it was a good fit there. And they would recruit nationally if there was interest. And so Coach James um, sent a young assistant. I think the youngest guy had to go the farthest east. And there was actually two of us. Um, another guy, Donald Jones, who was a captain with me on the championship team. Sure. Um, we both, uh, Chris Tormey was the assistant, and um, he got two for the for the price of one because uh, Donald had family in the Seattle area, so there was a connection there. So I, uh, yeah, that's that's how it that's how it happened. I never knew about that background. Ed. I never knew that that you were involved in javelin. So uh, it, very interesting uh, answer there. So Ed, you're on. You're a captain on that great 1991 UW national championship team. I mean, gosh, there were some big names in that team. Of course, Coach James was the coach. The late Coach James, Mark Brunel, Steve Entman, yourself. Um, I got a question for you, Ed. And I, and you guys were co-national champs that year. Does it ever feel a little bit maybe incomplete or inconclusive that your team never played Miami that year? And it probably did, you know, for a while afterwards. You know, there was, um, you know, this was pre-college football playoff and all that. But apparently there was like 20 or $30 million offered by the guy who owns, uh, like, the home shopping network to have Miami and Washington play 
two weeks after the season. Um, and, you know, we all would have, they would have played, we would have played. But, you know, as the days have gone by, not now. I don't care. It, it, we had so much fun. It was, you know, that was what was nice about the experience uh, for me is, is it really was a, just such a positive, fun, enjoyable thing that, that we did together. We did because we liked it, not because we felt like we had to. That makes sense? Sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of things came together the right way and the right time and good people. And, and we had a lot of fun. So, nah, the days have gone by. No. But, in, you know, for sure, afterwards, of course. No, that was uh, an amazing it was, team. It was, it was a weird. Uh, you know, it's funny, you know, for younger audience, there was a day where it wasn't guaranteed that, well, now the top four, but it was never even guaranteed the top two would meet. So uh, and it often didn't happen. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, for sure in the moments and months after, but that went away pretty quickly. So over, overall, it, it, it doesn't feel inconclusive. Overall, it was definitely a legitimate national championship, huh? Say that again? Overall, it was a very legitimate national championship. No doubt about it, huh? Well, I, for me, you know, sort of storybook to come all the way from Virginia and, and, and the way I did and get a really good education, um, you know, I we we it was a really balanced program. Coach James ran. We were, you know, expected to excel on and off the field. You know, it wasn't just go to class. It was what are you going to do next? Not, you know, we were always afforded. Coach James opened up the Rolodex for us to meet the people in Seattle that ran business or ran the police department or ran, you know, so that we knew them coming out. And I, you know, it'd be interesting if anyone ever sort of did a socioeconomic study, sort of the value to the community, because it was run. Uh, what I see is the way college athletics should be run. That's you know, really it. Sort of started getting out of hand, <laughs> you know, there probably towards the end. That's when the SBN came on board and things have just sort of exploded. Um, but yeah, to, to have it all together was a really unique, unique experience. Great insight, said. So you played in the NFL for five years, and you were drafted by the Arizona Cardinals. I, 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 I wish we could talk hours about your NFL career, Ed, but we're going to kind of keep things moving. But I do have a question for you about when you played for the Cardinals. What was it like playing for the late Buddy Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Buddy Ryan. So I have I, I, like a yin-yang relationship with Buddy. But personally, I liked him a lot. I found him funny and engaging and whenever you know like family or friends would come to practice he'd go over and you know it was really jovial and fun and my mom loved it <laughs> she's like gosh he's a really nice man um and i also and then the you know the yang to that was i learned what bad management is and what it looks like <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh boy did he sort of struggle being the ceo and uh, holding the ship together, and 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 it was it was funny because I was a leftover from the from the um, staff before, and and I was treated like it. I was demoted immediately. I had to earn my keep and all of this, and and I did all with a smile on my face and and you know try to make the most of it. But sure. yeah, I had a very unique, and I you know I was there when he ran off the field early, and that the only Monday night game I ever played in my NFL career. We got just waxed by Dallas. It was Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith, and they were, they'd already won one or two Super Bowls. 
And, um, yeah, he left the field a couple seconds early at the end before it was, <laughs> and that was, and that was the last, actually, you know what? That was the last I saw him was in that locker room after that game. Isn't that something? Never saw him again. Yeah. Paul Schneiderman of sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue, Eddie with Eddie, Ed Cunningham. You know, Ed, I of course never played uh, professional football, but as a fan, I always got the impression Buddy Ryan was no social worker. <laughs> was so what? I, I always, I always never got the impression Buddy Ryan was like a social working kind of guy, like a social worker. Uh, he was fascinating. I, you know, um, there was some brilliance there. Um, and, and, and boy, he just would sort of undercut it. I mean, I, the staff that he hired in Arizona, and I could write a move. I mean, there's a movie, you know, I'm in that business and I, I know you I are think about that. I think about that coaching staff all the time. We had some real, uh, interesting dudes, some really bad coaches <laughs> that were also weirdly interesting. So yeah, it was, uh. He was he was a fascinating guy. Well, if I get you back one day, Ed, I want to talk to you more about your your uh, your NFL career real quickly. Ed, how was your one year with the Seahawks in '96? I that, I was it was really enjoyable. I was so glad that I got. I sort of knew I was done after Arizona, and um, I went through sort of this weird signing, and then and then not playing for the Chicago Bears, and so I was sort of looking for a job because I was in shape and ready to play one more season. But I was sort of ready to hang him up, and I was really glad. And there was a there was a Husky connection, Keith Gilbertson, sure, who uh, was our office coordinator and uh, offensive line coach um, at Washington. He was he was then the uh, he was an offensive assistant coach for the Seahawks. So I, I just knew the relationship, and I really liked Dennis Erickson. I, I really enjoyed playing for him. I thought he was a really nice guy. I, I thought he was smart. I think you know. That's it's a tough place. We were we were very good, you know. We we went through three quarterbacks got hurt. Otherwise, we were a playoff team, and that was against John Elway and and in Denver. And I mean, it was a good. It was the AFC West at the time, um, but I loved it. We Dennis didn't beat us up, you know. So many coaches in the NFL, they just beat people up in practice, you know. Coach James, we didn't beat each other up. We worked hard. But we didn't leave practice in worse shape than we got to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. And Dennis didn't do that either. And so I really enjoyed it. And we, like I said, we were really good. If, uh, if we could have kept healthy and all that, we probably were in the playoffs. So I, I loved it. And I got to play the Kingdom, which is kind of cool and retro feeling now. Like I, I actually did time on that hard turf in the, uh, in the Kingdom, which was such a, you know, for a certain era of, of Seattle sports fans, it's a pretty cool place. Yeah, it's fun to hear a little about your background playing for the Seahawks. So, Ed, there was that famous 1999 movie with Al Pacino, Any Given Sunday, where Pacino plays that coach, the fictional pro football team, the Miami Sharks, and Oliver Stone-directed movie. I, I assume you probably remember that movie. Um, yeah. Any Given Sunday presents a very rogue portrayal of football in the 1990s. Did you think that movie was pretty accurate? Do I think it was accurate? Yeah. It's hard to say. You know, a lot of those, I, I liked the movie. So, and, and, and typically, uh, you know, I, I, I would not suffer a football movie lightly. If it's bad, I'll just turn it off. Sure. Because it's just not worth the time. <laughs> or it's just a sports movie in general. Um, 
And I thought they got a lot of the sports stuff right. I thought they sort of got how the politics work when a quarterback is sort of the wonder kind and all of that stuff. So, yeah, and then at the same time, it's it's dramatized, right? It's all boiled down. Of course. So sort of all the stuff that's bad happens in two hours instead of like 24 months. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? right, right. So it's just dramatized, and, and, and you know, that's what I've, we do that, and I've done that. But I liked it. I thought, um, I mean, I don't know, accurate. It's, it's like what's crazy about – do you remember the show uh, Playmakers that was on ESPN? A little in bit. The early 2000s? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, sort of a similar thing. It was a TV show, sort of a similar setup. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about at that. The time, and at the time, it felt like it was a little overblown, like, oh, all that doesn't go on. But as, as the more we get to know, you know, some of these franchises are just – straight insanity i mean just crazy <laughs> you know with you name it going on so sure that's yeah, accurate enough <laughs> paul schneiderman of sports and stuff on rainier avenue radio with ed cunningham okay ed so you started you had a long career as a broadcaster you had a great position at espn a job that so many american football fans men and women, former players would just love to have, but you made a decision in 2017 to walk away from this job because you had a major concern about, about um, football safety issues. Um, was there a, a straw that broke the camel's back for you, Ed, on, in terms of analyzing the safety issues of football? Um. Probably a few that, you know, sort of stand out, not maybe one. And well, well, yeah, so there was, uh, it's funny. I just sort of rethinking it. Um, in April of 2017, a hundred colleagues got laid off and at ESPN. I, yeah, at ESPN. And it was, you know, big news. Yahoo sports broke it before the employees were told. And, you know, it was just a weird day. It all happened in a day. And um, on that day was when I chose to quit because I, I, all of the ethical and personal feelings I had been sort of, not sort of, I'd been just totally denying <laughs> about how I felt about what was going on, um, just came to a head. And it just didn't feel on any level um, the right thing to do to keep taking that paycheck. It just didn't feel right. And, you know, I have two young kids and I have a you know burgeoning production company and blah, blah, blah. So I have other things sort of in my life saying get off the road. So there was all of that as well. But the, the yeah, yeah, that was the catalyst. That's interesting. That was That's interesting. That, that, that layoff. That, yeah, I just couldn't do it. Yeah, interesting. Ed, do you ever feel like a whistleblower at all in terms of, the, of addressing the sport of football? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I went through, <laughs> uh, I worked before I decided to share my story. And then, you know, we obviously it's there on a big platform, right? Sure. And, and so I sort of knew it was going to get read and talked about. And, and I knew the stance I was taking. And I knew that there was a little bit of a first to it because no one has, you know, sort of done this in, in this one specific thing. But remember, a lot of players have already started doing this. You know, this is not new. So, Ultimately, what I came to was I, I, I'm not, I can't be a whistleblower. The whist, it's not a whistle anymore. It's a scream. It's a yell. <laughs> sure. It's, it's, a, it's concussion with Will Smith. 
you know, the, the, um, we, we, you know, as a society, we're grappling with what is starting to be the truth, which is this game is likely not safe for the brain. Um, and so I kind of went through that as a kind of a dry run before sharing my story. And I realized it's sort of laughable because the whistle has been blowing. It's been blowing for years. Well, I like the way, and I really like the way you answered that question. You, you really, yes and no on the whistleblowing end because it's such an open issue now. So I, I, I get your point. Ed, the late Howard Cassell, of course, we all know who Howard Cassell was, the late, the late broadcaster. He once said that if the sport of boxing can't be cleaned up, it should be banned. Is that how you feel mm-hmm. about football? So here's, here's where the, where, the, the real, and, and, and I think what came out of, um, the New York Times article and, and then I did some follow up press, but I kept it sort of small and just kind of some friends that I just said, sure, I'll come on your show. But I, I sort of said what I wanted to say. The response that I got, the personal response I got, um, from coaches and, and ex teammates, you know, those who did reach out was, sort of thank you for saying that a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. Now, mind you, there were, and I, I got in a little bit of a verbal back and forth with a, a ex-football player, a guy I know that I, I went on a radio show because he just, you know, he said, oh, you're full of F and blah. And, you know, that was fine. And there sort of was that blowback. Um, but when I talked to guys that I played with, either at Washington and or the NFL, and then – very specifically when I talked to a, a few coaches that I'm still really close with, just people that are, you know, they coach me for a few years, specifically two guys um, that I talk to all the time. They're just, they're in my life and they were great coaches and they're great guys. I've always sort of looked out when we taught the size and speed of the players and, and the goal being we're all going to run into each other, specifically tackling the person with the ball is a real structural flaw. <laughs> yeah, I hear what you're saying. You know, and, and so my answer is, you know, what does it become? You know, does it, does it, do we stop tackling people? Because if you keep doing that, um, you're, you're just taking really strong, powerful, first kids, then young men, then men, um, the biggest, fastest, and strongest in the school, in the community, and having them run into each other. And, you know, that's a structural problem. And the people that I talked to that made their livelihood around it, that I like and respect, when we talk about it, they, it's a little bit of a shudder to have that discussion. So it's sort of interpreting your answer. You have a very interesting answer. I, I Let me know if I'm off base here. You're, you're kind of saying, no, I'm not saying it should be banned, but it definitely should be cleaned up. Is that is that a fair depiction of your answer? Yeah. Well, again, if, if, if tackling is the rub. If people are willing to start talking about, well, maybe we should tackle, then I think there's ways to sort of start having that conversation. But that full-blown taking people to the ground at full speed, I mean, the next time you watch an NFL game, hit pause right before every tackle, all of the players' heads are down. All of them. And the NFL, on the youth side, is, is heads up tackling. They have this whole program where they teach through the USA football, which oversees youth football and all the rules and, and implement, and, and they don't, it doesn't happen in the NFL. They're all with their head down 
because they're such big, strong guys, they got to go in with all that force just to do their job. We just get the guy to the ground. Tough, brutal game, no doubt about it. This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with my special guest, Ed Cunningham. Ed, uh, do you think college football could enact like a workers' compensation-style system where injured players can get lifelong benefits and maybe mm. workers' compensation for, for, for injuries? Would you be supportive of, of, of NCAA football enacting a system like that? You know, you know, it's funny, Paul, because, uh, you know, I don't know if your listeners know or not that you're, you're a lawyer. Um, but you have just brought up the thing that, uh, and, and Mark Emmert, former president of the University of Washington, now head of NCAA, if you had an off-the-record conversation with Mark Emmert, I, I would bet you he would say that's the number one reason that you can never call them employees. Because the long-term care for all sports, not just football. Football football may not even be an outlier. You know, in, in sports like rowing and some, you get a lower back injury in some of these sports from wear and tear. These are lifelong debilitating injuries. So there is no way that anybody who is in the amateur sports business wants to ever, and I say business because it's pro sports, <laughs> they're they're managing pro sports, college sports are whether they, they want to admit it or not. That's what they're managing, and no one ever wants to talk about long term care. To answer your question, absolutely, I think the only way to start making this fair is to say, okay, we are making billions. What needs to start going forward? Long term care, long term education, and 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 oh by the way, they are making strides. The NCAA has started really sort of getting behind, hey, we we got to loosen the strings here, start getting some long-term benefits. But yes, the answer is that's that's the number one. If I were called tomorrow to be the head of some, you know, the, the, all the players wanted to go negotiate, I'd say number one, you need long-term health care. And, and I think you're... You know, that's what any, that's what any sort of uh, business management sort of person would say. You guys are doing something, you men and women, you young men and women. Again, some of them were kids. Some of them were 17, 18 when they get into these schools. And to, to, to short them that with the billions of dollars floating around, it's, it's well, I, I personally think it's illegal. And, uh, and I've actually shared that with some people. I, I shared that with Mark Emmert in the room um, at, a, at a panel I was on. But I think it's illegal because they're taking also the name and likeness of these kids and, and using it for billion-dollar media deals. And so in there, you can't keep saying amateur if you're using name and likeness to, uh, to sell media rights. That starts, that's not legal, in my opinion. Yeah, Ed, um, Ed O'Bannon has that big case. And, but, yeah, of course. But the way and, it broke and, and, and you win. Those, those cases win. And it's just, a, it's just a festering. It's a problem. But, yeah, I think long-term health care has to be something that, that starts to come into focus for this to start make sense. And, and, and I got to tell you, I think you're absolutely correct that the NCAA is very, very nervous getting anywhere near labeling players with the, with the term employee. So I think, I think your analysis is great on that way you broke it down. And yeah. I want to talk about your uh, movie and filmmaking career. Believe it or not, we only got a couple minutes left. I mean, when time flies and you're having fun, huh, Ed? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, first of all, how did you break into the uh, film business? Give us a, a little a synopsis. You know, I, I give uh, go back to my, my wonderful education and time at Washington, I took a, I ended up as a business major and I took a entrepreneurial class 
um, probably the spring right before that fall, we, we won the national championship. And there's just this great professor who basically he made us start our own company. He's like, oh, you want to be an entrepreneur? <laughs> well, sure, there's some textbooks over there. But and I think my pal and I did like a, a – I think we did a car washing business. But we had to have books, and I think we had to have a license from the city because we were putting water into the – you know, we, we had to run a little business. It was awesome. And so right when we won the national championship, I had gotten to know uh, the the group that produced – the, the, the Sunday broadcast of the games really used to be that hour cut down. It was on Prime Sports Northwest. It's now Root Sports. And, sure. um, I went to them and said, Hey, let's do a video encapsulating the season. And it was just sort of an entrepreneurial notion I had. And I'd been around with ESPN was there. It's so much media around the team. I was like, you know, sort of thought of that as a potential career path. So the first thing I ever produced was a, a VHS tape that we sold. It's still, they show it sometimes on Root Sports. Love to see it. national championship season. Yeah. Love to see and it. And so then when I got in, and then when I got in the uh, NFL, I'd already started doing a little bit of radio in Seattle before I left. Um, uh, okay, I, Bob Rivers, Twisted Radio. I don't know if you remember that show. KSWA. Yeah. Going with those guys. And um, so anyway, um, I started doing broadcasting straight away. I did radio while I was playing in the NFL. I started doing television while I was playing in the NFL. And then when I moved, I chose to move to LA uh, because I was already working at CBS on camera when I left the NFL, and that's when I started producing again. It's great. And that was just, frankly, just being in Los Angeles and people I was friends with and near. Sort of everyone was here to either act or write or whatever. And I met a couple directors, and we started making documentaries um, together. And those have sort of led to the rest of you know, sort of television and scripted work and, you know, all of that stuff. But, yeah, it was sort of a natural return to something that I got and did at the UW. Great background. And uh, we got less than a minute left, and I know you were involved in a, an award Academy Award-winning football documentary, Undefeated. You also were involved in a fascinating documentary, The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, about the Donkey Kong Video Championships. I'd love to talk to you more about these. But what do you got cooking uh, right now on the uh, film, movie, show front? And what does the future hold, Fred Cunningham? We got, like, less than a minute left. Well, I've got, uh, so I sort of look for properties that are sort of fun to, to translate into to film and TV. And so I'm working on, there's a comic strip called Tank McNamara, which is about a sportscaster, uh, ex-football player. So sure. I sort of know that character. So we're going to try to translate that into a 30-minute scripted comedy. Can't wait to and see then, it. Uh, and then in the documentary space, um, I'm starting to do documentary series. So instead of just one thing, I try to do maybe 100 of them. Uh, a little more scale and I'm looking we're working on something in the cyber crime space which is really fascinating to us we've done some work in there before and it's sort of relevant so we're trying to do sort of a series in that world or sort of the two top things I'm working on great stuff Ed it's just been so much fun to have you on and uh, it's you and I stay in touch I'd love to get you back one day on sports and stuff great thanks Paul I appreciate the time on your end absolutely Ed likewise